Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Here's a great question. Is it true that an essay can compartmentalize or is it just denial? Well, they kind of go together. I mean, denial is compartmentalizing. If I can say, oh, that's not really a big deal when it is, then I put the fact that it is a big deal in a little box over here and I don't want to see it. You know, it's kind of like the guy who gets a DUI and he says, and you know, you know, on some level, you know, the drinking got him in trouble, but he says, oh no, it was that police officer. Oh no, it was the red car or, you know, the fact, his denial which is, I don't want to look at my drinking because then I might have to stop, but I can blame everybody around me. That is a form of compartmentalizing because they're taking reality and they're putting it in a box and saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to look at that reality. I'm going to put that one over there. Um, denial is, you know, the simple way, didn't even know I was lying, didn't even know I was lying. And nine times out of 10, it's to yourself. I didn't even know that I was lying to myself. And again, you know, and that is a form of compartmentalization. So, um, Yes, essays compartmentalize. And what they mean is they meant what that means is they can put, let me tell you it differently. I've had partners say, I don't understand how you could love me and do this. And I think that's a great example of compartmentalization. I really do love the person I'm with. And when I go out there and do this thing, I'm not thinking about them at all. They don't even cross my mind. I am so hyper-focused on this. I think about them after. And how can I get away with it? But compartmentalization is not just about sex addiction. It's about all addiction. You know, alcoholics do the same thing. Eating disorder people do the same thing. They put the worst parts over here and they just say, I'm not going to look at that. It goes in a box. And by the way, that box doesn't affect anything else in my life because I put it over there, which is denial. They're sort of like a similar word. Tammy, what do you think? A hundred percent. I was wondering, it isn't just SA. And, and I, what, what the, the challenge is if these things that are very compartmentalized and siloed, if those bump into each other, because we work really hard at keeping them very separate. And so then when there's discovery by a partner, then it's like, oh, I put this over on the shelf and no one was supposed to know about it but me. And now you just discovered it. And oops, you know, really, really bad. And um, being confronted with the reality of our situation is problematic. And it, again, across any form of acting out, you know, uh, alcoholism or whatever the problematic behavior is. So, um, so we talk often that sex addiction isn't about sex. Alcoholism isn't because the alcohol tastes so good. It's about what it's doing for us. And that compartmentalization is taking us away from reality because we don't have the coping skills to, to well, manage things. Go ahead. And I, if I had to look at reality, I'd have to stop. If I really, really saw that a DUI was because I'd been drinking while driving, I'd have to stop. And my priority is not aligning with the law. My priority is to keep drinking. So if I want to keep drinking, I have to put reality in a box somewhere else, not because I'm not interested in it. It's because I, it is in conflict with my addiction. And when you come to treatment, by the way, and everybody at Seek Integrity will tell you this, I will get very confrontive when I hear denial. And it's because if you don't work through that, then you can do what you did before and 
not even think about it. You go right back where you were. It's really helpful to understand the destruction, the harm, the pain, and the disappointments and losses that have absolutely come from the addiction. And you can't deny it when it's right in front of you. And it really does make it harder to go back to something knowing the harm that it's caused. And, and by the way, I will say this about treatment of all the addicts, whatever kind of treatment you do, my goal is to ruin it for you. You may go back to it, but you will never go back to it again without understanding what it's doing to yourself and others. And that is a powerful motivation uh, to stay sober. And I hope, but one, one of the things, it isn't just to haul all this junk up and make it unpleasant for you. It's because it's hurting the addict. You know, like we hurt everyone else too, but ultimately I really believe that we hurt ourselves the most. And and then there's everybody else, but we're disconnected from people who love us. We are lying. We are not living in integrity. You know, we are we are not living our best lives if we're in active addiction. So we, we hurt ourselves and everyone else. And I know Betray Partners, you're going like, no, it hurts me worse. And part of it is because you found out they've known all along in some compartmentalized way and you found out. So it is different and it's betrayal and it's painful, but they're still, they've missed out on all of this stuff that, you know, was part of being in a relationship with you. You know, they've been holding back and, and not letting themselves, you know, really, have the full magnitude of that. So, so it, it's, it's hurtful across the board. We can learn to do things differently if we're willing to step into, you know, if we're willing to take a few brave steps, you know, we can, we can, we, you know, there's support, there's ways to do things differently. We don't have to keep doing it. Okay. Next question. Long-term essay partner in mid forties acting out started with compulsive porn use in college and escalated during past years, all completely hidden from me until I found an ongoing Skype chat and eventually disclosure in November. I'm not sure I can ever trust that he will be fully satisfied with a, mon a monogamous sex life, although he claims he will be. While he's worked hard in recovery, emotional and physical intimacy are still a struggle for him and frustrating and, um, uh, and lovely for me. Lonely. Um, we, oh, lonely. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, Trying to, I was trying to align those two. Thank you. We have not been able to reconnect sexually and he is displaying anorexia. I've, I'm concerned whether after so many years of extensive porn use and stimulation, whether he will ever be completely satisfied with just me. I, 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 you are not alone. This is, this is a recurring theme. So. Well, there's so much to say here. Um, I guess one of the first things I want to say, and it's useful for the addicts is when I am acting out sexually in an addictive way, what I'm seeking is intensity. What I'm seeking is breathtaking, heart pounding. Oh my God, this is amazing intensity. Oops, someone's calling me. And uh, let me say not right now. Um, and then when people stop acting out, they expect that their sexual life with their partner will be the same. You know, when I'm walking down the street as a sex addict, I'm looking at body parts. I'm thinking how I get that, that going. I can't wait to get home to the porn. You know, I'm not thinking about people. I'm more thinking about my own uh, excitement. But sorry, my dog is doing something down there. Um, however, when you are connecting with a meaningful partner, uh, sex doesn't come from a place of horniness of, oh, my God, that's so exciting. I want to do that. It comes from a place of willingness especially for us, we are trauma survivors, for sure. Um, I was writing someone a note about some of the things I went through 
growing up with my mom and they said, it's amazing, you know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, um, which is something else I want to talk about here. But um, maybe he doesn't know how to go to reconnect with you. And so he's withdrawing. And plus, by the way, and don't tell my husband, he knows this. I would rather, um, I'd rather read the New York Times from cover to cover when we're lying in bed together than have sex. I'd rather take a math test because when I'm presented with sex with my partner, what comes up for me is fear. Um, I was so enveloped and used and had my own different forms of incest that someone I love coming toward me for sex is terrifying. I want to go to the next room. I mean, I know this now. It used to just be, I don't feel like it. Now I understand there's much deeper feelings there. And so, you know, what I had to learn was, is there a different way to approach sexuality other than, okay, we're going to go do it or that intensity that I looked for when I was acting out sexually. And, you know, I think an, a good way to look at it is, can we, rather than, uh, he's been sexually anorexic and blah, blah, blah. Could you hold hands? Could he lie with his head in your lap while you stroke his head and massage his shoulders? Can he, uh, can he uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about building connection rather than worrying about getting to arousal and, and the penetrative sex. And um, what he might learn, well, let me put it this way. I can be lying next to my partner saying, the last thing I wanna do is have sex with you. But what I can do is try massage. What I'm willing to do is, you know, uh, put, put your head in my lap and we'll talk sweet things, whatever it is. And, you know, it's interesting for sex addicts because we do this physical closeness with you and then, oh my God, I'm aroused. <laughs> it's shocking to us because it didn't come from this heart pounding excitement. And then we are sexual, which is often profoundly better, I think, physically and emotionally than it is with a stranger. I don't know why it's a brain thing. Um, but if you... So the best way I can say this is, and this doesn't come from me, I have to admit this, but I love this phrase, that sex for recovering addicts is, has to come from a place of willingness and not a place of horniness. I'm not going to say, and plus there's one more thing. If we've been together for a while, no offense, but I've seen that butt before. And so if I'm looking for intensity, that, new, that old butt, you know, love you dearly, but I saw that about 20 years ago when it was more perky and uh, I'm, I'm, being silly but the point is, is that men seek stimulation and we seek new stimulation that's sort of how we're built and so you know this is why we say do it in a different place go on vacation try something sexy on not you know because it revitalizes us so um i really do think that if you could start out on a journey of his being willing to try some things it's amazing that we just find ourselves getting aroused and being sexual when we never expected we would because what we want is to look at our partner and say oh my god i can't wait to do that and let's get to it because that's what we do when we're acting out but it's a whole different thing when you're with somebody and and honestly like i said he just may not know how to get from where he is to where you want to be together so some thoughts for you well and we we've talked before about sensate focus where it is the touching with no plan for there being penetration it's it's we're just going to touch and you know snuggle and cuddle and um you know and and connect you know that's what real intimacy is is being vulnerable you know that's i hear often people saying we're not we're not intimate and i know that they're talking about sex and i was like there's a whole lot of intimacy before sex and sex addicts you know often prove that you don't have to be intimate 
to have sex. So um, the sexual anorexia, you know, I hear often too from addicts that are like, they're just afraid, you know, and embarrassed and everything else. And and it's so awkward. It's like, you know, backing up the clock to when you're a teenager and, and going, I have to start all over again, but this is with a person and I should know all of this. And so being willing to be vulnerable and laugh about like, we're just, it's, you know, we're, we're just going to be awkward and it's going to be okay. As long as we're together in this. Um, uh, I, I think that that's, you know, a different place to start. Um, but, but, you know, I, I hear you saying I'm lonely. I hear, you know, the disconnect being problematic. I also hear like, the, um, it says this was just in um, uh, eventually disclosure in November. So, so, so you're, you're into this, right. but, but it's still early. And so I think giving your, both of you some, some grace and space to go, we're going to, that's only yeah, six months. I know. And so that's yeah. part of what I'm going is like, you know, it, it's okay. And just owning that it's okay. And, um, but having the conversation of what is it we're looking for and what can we work towards and what baby steps can we take to get there? You know, it doesn't have to go from zero to a hundred. It's like, we're going to go to from zero to, to five miles an hour and that, that will be okay. And, and, you know, and you start connecting those emotional touch points because in my loneliness, I would be withdrawing and he's withdrawing. And so then you've got two people who are, you know, right. that are withdrawing Stop. and disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about I, I, walking I, and chewing gum. So I did put a link to Sensate Focus up there if oh, anybody good. is interested. Um, I try to cover you, Tammy, on the backside here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I do believe that he wants to connect with you. And I do believe that monogamy one day at a time is certainly, it's sort of like a whole different, again, this is a whole different thing. Building an intimate and loving relationship with someone, um, it doesn't sound like he's really done a lot of that. So what is monogamy if you haven't really built that in the first place? Um, so yeah, this is a good, really good question. Yeah. But don't give up hope. I oh, mean, like, yeah, I have, Go sorry. Ahead. No, no, I'm so sorry. I wanted to add to that. Um, I haven't been doing enough spooning lately. And I realize that as I get older, it's so easy for me to pick up my device and start reading. And my spouse is, you know, doing something on the other side of the bed and we never actually physically touch he falls asleep i fall asleep you know here we are in a 21 year marriage and it's easy to forget um you know tammy one of the we've been struggling a little bit as a couple and one of the reasons we absolutely realized is it's screen time the tv's on all the time or get in bed and pick up the device and i don't mean you know i love technology i used to teach a course on tech for this for the for the csats but I do think I had to be much more conscious about things that just had become a norm over time that were keeping me from being intimate. I don't have to have sex, but I, I mean, I'm, I'd like it, but I would love to spoon. I would love to be held. I would love to connect in those ways. It's so meaningful to me. And for some reason, um, it can slip away. And I think the distractions, you know, TV, let me tell you, a TV in a bedroom, deadly. <laughs> TV in the bedroom, deadly. TV on when you're having meals or have that opportunity at the end of the day to check in, deadly. And what I found was we're not talking to each other. We're not connecting. And, and it wasn't that we didn't want to. It's just that I had one eye on that and one eye on that. And I wasn't really hearing anything. So anyway, you can also make it easier to connect by reducing the distractions, um, I guess is what I want to say. And I had forgotten how simple that is. You just put it down. 
because it's so insidious. It's like it just happens. And then all of a sudden there's, yeah, I'm, I realized the other day that I am petting the dog way more than I'm touching my husband. And I was like, I mean, I have to shift that, that, that isn't right. You know, I, but it's, I, that's not what I want, you know, for our relationship. But I'm like, you know, I'll pet it's the dog so, like that stuff. So yeah, I am so, so glad you said that yeah. because sometimes I'm going coochie coochie with the dog and petting yeah. and then I think I'm not doing this for him. <laughs> and that's not, and I feel like I've been caught, you know, like giving too much love. So I'm, what I love about all of this is being conscious that mm-hmm. we are talking about this. And that's what I'm asking you to do is be more conscious about your connection rather than worrying, can I be monogamous? Can we have a sex life? Try to focus on the moments that you're going to create. And mm-hmm. maybe they won't be all the way to 100, but they might be 30. And next time they'll be 35. And you know, it's a process of reconnecting with yourself and someone else. And I, I really, sobriety is a done or not done deal. But what we're talking about here takes a long time. In yeah. personally and as a couple. So be more, I agree with Tammy, be more gentle with each other, but do head in the right direction, like mm-hmm. holding and doing fun things together and, you know, all, all of that. Okay. Okay. Next question. What is the next difference question. between a chronic cheater and a sex addict? Well, I, I, I can't say mean word. I can't say those four letter words here. So I, or I prefer not to, but I can think of some differences. Um, so I don't know what chronic means. Does chronic mean like every couple of years or there've been one or two affairs or does it mean there's always an affair going on and for 25 years there's always been someone else or a number of someone else's because that's sex addiction, you know? Um, so the word chronic, I don't, you know, so I don't know you or the situation well enough to say what that means. So I can't really answer your question. But if I take the word chronic out, I can't say the difference between someone who cheats and a sex addict. Um, someone who cheats in my mind uh, and really isn't addicted and doesn't have all that trauma and all that BS, um, especially someone newly in a relationship, I think that they're immature. You know, it's back to that Stan Tatkin podcast. Oh, and by the way, do throw that podcast in the in the chat if you because we keep talking about it. Um, um, I, I think that people who cheat are not able to to keep their partner in mind. And what I mean by that is when I go, this is absolutely true. When I go to the, you know, to when I go shopping, now it's on Amazon and I'm looking at shirts, I think about my spouse. I I mean, I can't help it. It's like, oh, I think that would be a great color that he would like, not just me. In other words, my spouse is in mind. I'm not just going out and saying, what can I get for me? And that was fun. I can't even help it. It's like, oh, they might like that, you know? And I think the immaturity of cheating is not having your partner in mind at all. How would that make them feel if I do this? I, you know, I've already made up my mind as what they don't know would hurt them. And so, but I also think someone who cheats when they get in trouble or when they get found out, um, they can stop. They can say, wow, I see all the mess that this caused and what was I thinking? And I went to that bachelor party and this happened. And so if I take the word chronic out, I can say that someone is not able to keep their relationship and their partner in mind when they're out in the world is immature or has some work to do. Um, sex addiction is different. It's not a matter of, of maturity. It's a matter of being psychologically broken. Sex addiction is about deep scars to our sense of self that leave us compartmentalizing and splitting love and intimacy from sex. And we will always be stuck with that split. I think someone as a cheater can learn to respect, learn to grow, learn to change, learn, you know, become a parent, and then they want to live all kinds of, but we 
don't have a choice without help. I cannot stop, nor do I know how to stop what I'm doing unless I really have support and direction in changing. And whether that's therapy or 12-step programs or some of the, by the way, we have a fantastic training series. I'm going to push that. What a lot of people, I'm going to jump to topics now. Um, a lot of people don't get the educational piece in therapy. When I go in for an hour a week or two hours a week, I work on my stuff. But I don't learn about the psychoaddiction. I don't learn about trauma and how that affects addiction. And those are those are topics I need to learn. And so we are teaching these courses about how do I, you know, you betrayed partners. You may go to a therapy uh, session or a therapy group, but are you learning about what does it mean to forgive or not forgive? What does it, what is the betrayal of trauma? What should I expect from someone? A lot of the questions you ask spouses are going on in the betrayed partners group, which is what can I expect at six months and all that kind of stuff. So I just want you guys to know, uh, we don't make a ton of money from it, but the opportunity to get the education that you don't get in therapy, and maybe you didn't read the whole book or get to know exactly the most important part of the book, we're sitting there explaining. And well, I would think we're a master class. <laughs> we have master classes in sex addiction. Um, and go ahead, Tammy. Sex addiction, porn addiction 101. The trade partner group starts June 8th. Eddie Caparucci's going deeper. The inner child work starts tomorrow night. Tomorrow. Out of the doghouse. You, you talked about all of those. Those are six-week courses, and most of them are 90 minutes. The betrayed, or the healing from uh, betrayal couples uh, started last week, um, and that's two hours. But otherwise, they're, they're 90 minutes once a week. And those are really good, solid psychoeducation and, and all done via Zoom. People from all over the world are joining those. So, you know what, Tammy, something that we might want to mention just as a part of that while we're doing a little self promotion is that we have a space, I think, on Amazon where all of the books that go mm -hmm. with those courses exist. So, there mm -hmm. is a Sex Addiction 101 workbook, there's a Porn Addiction 101 workbook. Uh, don't think the betrayed partners is ready, but I know out of the doghouse it's is, in, is it's up. in process. And what right. that means is that when you take a course, you have a workbook and you have homework, and we expect you to do it. And so there's a lot of discussion around not only what happens in the educational process, but what I learned when I was doing this last week. Um, well, and to that point, it's like if I read a book, I read it with my lens, and as an addict, I'm really going to be kind to myself and not see things and not think that's no. a problem so so having the discussion all of these are live facilitated and so having the discussion there's a lot of aha moments where like oh I hadn't thought of it that way oh that's also part of you know but it, it's just you know most of them are you know they're under four hundred dollars for uh, six-week course. So please check those out. We run Sex Addiction 101 every month, uh, Porn Addiction 101 every month, Doghouse too. So, but we've, and we've added more and we've got more coming too. So, And I want to put in a small caveat for your addicts. There's a great sales plug for our courses. Your spouse will feel better watching you go to that course every week and having the workbook and doing the work. They will feel like, oh, look at look at him or her. Well, it's, it's only men in that program, right? Look at those. Look at my guy diving into the work and doing the homework at the kitchen table on that on his own, and it will make your spouse happy. How's that for a sales? No, and, 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 and no, I it does it does help, but you know, the insights, you know, people, I've had therapists that have talked about, I love having my clients go to those work groups because they get the psychoeducation and then they have more information that they're bringing back to the therapist. So they get to go and the spouse. You know, yeah. But they, but they, but you know, if they're digging into this stuff, they have more to take to their therapist to work with, 
you know, um, to help get in a different place quicker. So we've got two ones in the chat. I'm going to try to get to this one too. So, but the next question is, can a person develop a sex addiction later in life due to the explosion of the internet or is there always trauma? Well, I, the question to me would be about porn because I absolutely have seen people, let's say a guy retires or a woman retires and all of a sudden they don't have the structure and the support and maybe their other partner is out working or they're alone. Um, they can get really involved with porn and later life become very, uh, very addicted, if you will, to that being their place to go because they're lonely or they had a life change and they didn't adapt to that life change or someone died and they got involved with the porn while they were grieving. All of a sudden they realized. So for some people, um, it becomes a later life thing because um, often something's going on and they find themselves doing that more and more often. I think there are late life alcoholics, there are late life gambling addicts. There are people who have the potential, but they never, the stress wasn't right or the distraction wasn't right. And all of a sudden they fell into it and, and there they were. Um, but so if it's porn, I think absolutely. If it's general sex addiction, no. I think that almost all of us have early life experiences of acting out I don't think there's anybody in treatment, Tammy, that I can think of who couldn't recall that they started acting out in their 20s. I was 14, but some at least started in their 20s. And so someone later in life, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, if they're a sex addict, then they just took advantage of the explosion of the internet, if you will. It's much easier to act out now. It's much more anonymous to act out more. It's much cheaper, you know, and I don't have to go to some bar and put on some bad cologne and risk that someone's not gonna wanna be with me. You know, these days I can just put a few lines uh, in an app and there's 30 people and they're all within five blocks. I mean, it's a whole different experience. So yes, access has changed tremendously to sexual content, but you know, uh, marijuana has become legal in California. That doesn't mean everyone who smokes marijuana has become an addict. So access is not the only issue. You have to have a predisposition or a stressor going on. And addicts tend to have a predisposition and start early in life. And by wow. the way, there are other people who say, oh, it didn't happen until I was 60. And it's not unusual. They might be lying to you. Well, lying or they were working, you know, 80 hours a week, or they were right. drinking heavily, you know, and especially binge drinking on the weekends when they weren't working, or there was something else going on. So, um, and as far as it's, you know, is there always trauma? I talk about trauma, neglect, abandonment, grief, loss, there's something, you know, um, that, that, you know, can be at the core of it, you know, is it always identified as trauma? I mean, I think abandonment, you know, can be a form of trauma, but so, so I agree with Dr. Rob that highly unlikely that it was completely isolated. Yeah. Unless there's some, like, I've heard of some people that are on like a Parkinson's medication could be, I mean, there could be something if there was a medical condition that, you know, to be, uh, to look at, we have one more in the chat. So I'm going to read well, this wait, wait, before you, you do ahead. that, there's okay. a question that got skipped over that was in the Q and a, so I want to read it. Oh, um, Hello, I'm 28 years young, a gay male. I'm a porn addict willing to get the benefits oh. of recovery. How does one go about the process of finding a sponsor? Keep these ones in mind as we go through, Tammy. I'm recently sober and new to the 12-step process and wanting to work the steps. I regularly attend a process addiction therapy, addiction therapy for my porn addiction, and I watch 
you don't watch my podcast, but you probably listen to them regularly. Thank you for your time as uh, always much love. So I, I had written this person back saying, you know, I do think you should read Cruise Control because it's the only book I know written for gay men who are sex addicts. And I think it really will help differentiate and help explain the trauma piece, the 12 step piece, even the sponsor piece. But Tammy, I, these questions are universal. How do I find a sponsor? You know, how do I work this step? I think that you would be a great person to maybe, you know, give some feedback. We have bunches of resources. Yeah. And you type the answer. That's why I didn't see it in the live. One. Well, just so about the why. book. Not the no, I know, but that's answers. why I missed, um, I missed it. So, so I'm going to put, um, uh, there's a whole section of, uh, and I'm, I'm putting this in the chat uh, under the resource tab on sex and relationship healing.com. There's a whole uh, a video series that went through working the stuff. So that's one thing. The, mm, oh, it's so the wonderful. biggest thing is, like you raise your hand and say, I need a sponsor, you know, and it's not a lifelong commitment, you know, unlike, you know, a long-term relationship. This is like, you need somebody, you need somebody who has something you want. You, ha you need somebody who's done the steps, you know, like I hear this all the time um, uh, that, well, my, my sponsor hasn't even done their four step wrong sponsor, you know, like find somebody who's actually doing the steps and, and following through, you know, th there's, it, uh, in the in the groups that we have um on sex and relationship healing.com there's a no lot cost. of people they're, they're no cost they're live uh, moderated so they're safe spaces and there's lots of guys that do peer um uh, connection so that's that's somebody to find somebody to peer connect with but but really i you know i said this in a meeting the other day again um the elevator to recovery is broken please use the steps working the steps is proven as a method of you know making progress i strongly believe in that now was that going to be enough for me heck no so i needed a therapist a group therapist treatment i needed a, i needed a lot of help <laughs> but i got it and 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 i continue to you know work the steps on a daily basis you know which is helpful but you you know you you need a sponsor that's for this phase of your program you may go okay now that i've outgrown this sponsor or this i need somebody different it's all good so but the biggest thing is raise your hand and say i need a sponsor you know and somebody better step up so yeah i just want to add two little things um one is a sponsor is a role model mm -hmm. and in order to have a role model they have to be where you would like to be so that you can mm -hmm. learn from them so you know if you're in a relationship and you just had kids and you know, you betrayed your spouse and you're looking at someone who's a year down the road and they've worked it out with their spouse and they're being a better parent and they're feeling that might be the person, you know, choose someone who's a few steps down the road from you, but you share enough so that you can kind of aspire to what they have. Because I find that really, you know, I, someone I admire, I want to have uh, more of what they have and I want to learn from them. And that's kind of what you want. But I agree with Tammy, it doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment. And you can even have something called a temporary sponsor, which is, I, you know, we were talking about these people to people connections, someone I can call, someone I can connect with, someone I can learn from. And they may not be the long-term commitment I'm looking for to work with a sponsor, but they, it sure is important to build social relationships. Um, do we have a group for gay men on SRH? Is it just the drug? We do. We have a cruise control group on Thursday nights is specifically for um, so on sex and relationship healing .com, right. um, that, that group, but, but you know what, it, there's, it, there's gay 
straight. It doesn't, right. they're, they're in every one of the, don't just go to that one. Right. Going to just one meeting is not enough. So you can't do too much, you know, early in the, the process and, you know, make friends, you know, good. So. And what you have in common with the people in that room is you have a porn problem. It doesn't really matter whether you're gay or straight or this, that's what you all mm-hmm. have or work for a lot of money or, or, you know, sweep streets. What you have in common is the porn problem. And, you know, when we do treatment seeking integrity, people have said, oh, you just see gay men or you just see straight men. No, I see men. I see troubled men who have intimacy disorders. Um, and by the way, one more thing, Tammy, that person long, long ago who was talking about how disconnected they felt from their spouse and they weren't being sexual. And mm-hmm. I just want to say like, this is an intimacy disorder. Sex is the presenting problem, but the real issue is getting close to people and feeling safe and building connections. And I don't mean intimacy in terms of sex. I mean, intimacy in terms of emotional connection, being known and vulnerability and all that good stuff. So if we knew how to do that stuff, we probably wouldn't act out sexually. Once we stop acting out sexually, we still don't know how to do all that stuff. Um, but it is an, a problem of intimacy and sex is just, for many of us, just the most, the biggest presenting symptom is what I want to say. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.